1: Well, the big day is nearly upon us. You should be on door number 12 of your advent calendar. And what says Christmas better than a discussion of good things to eat and a bit of a nose around the shops? It's the 12th of December, 2014. I'm N. Quentin Wolf, and this is Londonist Out Loud.
2: Hey, baby, let me take you down So we'll play some strange sights and the sound You ain't never seen the light before Just as through from your front Far
1: no one you how you raised us. Well, hello, hello. Among the list of things that we've never done on this podcast is come to Camden. I can't quite believe that. It's such an interesting, uh, unique cultural hub that I can't quite believe we've not been here, but we haven't. And the other thing we haven't done on the podcast is interview somebody called Siddharth Vijaya Kumar. So, we're going to set both of those straight today. And uh, he is here, and and we are here. And hello. Hello,
2: Quinton. Nice to meet you. I'm glad you got my name right there. (laughs) That's very impressive. I'm
1: impressed with the pronunciation as well. Are you actually? Yeah, I
2: am actually. That's pretty good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I won't attempt it again. You you did it in a very good Indian accent as well. My mother would be proud. (laughs) (laughs) I've made somebody's mother proud already. (laughs) We're in Canton, as I say, and we're here because this is the spiritual home of Grub Club. And you're the co founder of. Uh, Grub Club, And uh, I must say before we start that we were due to be speaking to the other co-founder of Grub Club, but she is indisposed due to uh, laryngitis. And she was uh, mouthing to me, sorry, she can't possibly talk. And she shoved Sid in front of the microphone and said, uh, without any warning at all, talk in Camden. And so Sid has very generously agreed to do exactly that. We're going to be gentle with him and uh, we'll throw a low ball, first of all, What is Grub Club? Uh,
2: So thanks, Quinton. First of all, I want to apologize to your users for having to put up with me for the next 45 minutes because Liv is far lovelier than I am. (laughs) But here we go anyway. (laughs) Um, So Grub Club is a business set up by Liv and I about a year and a half ago. And we are a platform for pop-up restaurants. We connect chefs with fun, cool, underused spaces around London uh, so that they can do a pop-up dinner uh, and then we'll connect them with uh, paying customers who'll attend this who'll attend this dinner. So customers or people who love dining out and love unique dining experiences uh, can search for and book uh, pop-up restaurants with us. And we are predominantly in London, and we do a mix of dinners, working with a whole range of talented uh, chefs, some of whom work in michelin star restaurants, and some of them just very talented amateur chefs.
1: Well, we'll be unpacking that and talking some more about that, talking about the Camden Collective, and we'll be going shopping, and we're going to be finding out what Sid Kumar knows about Camden uh, <laughs> and his wincing. Uh, I just wanted to note the phenomenon that you heard in the background there, listener, which is the, uh, the white van man harping his horn because he saw a microphone. Now, I thought that this was restricted uh, just to members of the female gender.
2: I thought he was uh, honking because of your long hair, Quinton. I thought that might have been... Oh, well, you think I was passing myself <laughs> off as... A...
1: Oh, dear. Imagine his surprise when he turns around and sees this looming haggard of a man.
2: You're, you're a handsome young man, Quinton. I'm sure he was very impressed. Oh, thank you. <laughs>
1: This, this could be a very positive interview. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, one of the things I often look out for Camden, I don't know, because I know you hang around in Camden yeah. a fair bit with your work. One of the things I often try and look out for is the pub that appears in Withnail and I. And there's a few candidates I've got in mind, but I'm not sure whether it's here or, or whether it's somewhere else. Or do you, you don't happen to know by any chance. We're standing outside the Camden head, but I'm pretty sure that's not the one. No, that right. doesn't look right at all. <laughs> yeah. I think it's called the Mother Black Cap in Withnail. Yeah, I, have, I haven't seen that movie, so I can't, I can't comment right now, sadly. Well, if, if you happen <laughs> to know the answer, I'm, uh, I'm certainly interested. We are on the junction of Pratt Street and uh, Camden High Street, I think. Yeah, we are. Um, so we are just outside our, our offices. And we're going to head to uh, background music of Sirens <laughs> to our right, and we're going to head up towards Camden Town tube station. And, of course, the name of the game today is uh, is retail, really, I suppose we're looking at the high street. And the first thing that we notice here is that every single shop in this high street is a shop that you can find in any high street. Exactly. I, and I, I think this is the, the
2: problem with a lot of high streets in uh, in Britain today. There's a real homogenization of all the shops here. Uh, everything you see around you, you see Greggs, you see Three, you see Nationwide, you see Santander. And all of these are great companies. But I, I really feel that a, a place like, high, uh, especially a place like Camden, Really misses out on you know its rich history when it used to have you know an abundance of independent shops and restaurants. Uh, but I, I have to, I have to say though I've started to see a lot of that come back recently over the last year two years and there's a great some great initiatives out there. Uh, for example, uh, the Camden Collective, uh, which is uh, an organisation here in Camden uh, that's tasked. We're bringing fun, independent, creative businesses here to sort of change the face of Camden.
1: Yeah, because when you think of Camden, really the, the first thing I think of certainly is those uh, kind of crazy Saturdays where all the people dressed up in goth wear and uh, lots of loud music <laughs> pumping through. But I, I wonder whether I'm remembering this from 20 years ago and whether the reality is still that...
2: Well, I'm sure that was actually this last Saturday, wasn't it? Oh, that's a relief. (laughs) No, I I think Camden is still a very vibrant place. I think the, the difference today is that you actually have to find those pockets... Whereas before, I think it was, you know, you, you land in Camden and there was a lot of, you know, you, you could feel the excitement when you walked out of the tube station.
1: I, I was wondering whether it was going to be a town of two halves because, of course, we're south of the tube station at the yeah. moment and the shops are, as you described. I wonder whether we were going to go further north and find that that's where all the indie trade was. Uh,
2: definitely. I th- well, I, I think it's a mix, actually. I think on the, the southern part of Camden High Street, you're starting to see more independent shops. And um, If you go walk towards uh, Mornington Crescent, there's some interesting uh, in, uh, independent bars that have opened up recently. Uh, there's a really good retail space there, again, uh, funded by the Camden Collective. Uh, and then as we walk north towards Camden, yes, I think there's more independent shops as we head towards Chalk Farm. But I think it's changing, though. I think you know, a lot of initiatives like Camden Collective, obviously, uh, are making, you know, are making some real efforts to try and change
1: that. Now, it struck me that this area cannot possibly be cheap in terms of retail rental. And there are economies of scale, naturally, that come with Absolutely. being... Uh, you you use the word great, and I suspect you were being complimentary, but, of course, great in size as well. Um, and I, I've been thinking a lot recently about the uh, coffee shop culture and if you were to start up a coffee shop you've got to be doing something other than just selling coffee because uh, any of the big chains can outprice you no problem at all well i think price
2: isn't the only thing customers care about i think they care about the story of the coffee shop um, i think the, the coffee we had earlier from dungaree uh, i think you really feel the passion of the entrepreneur as you you know pick up that cup of coffee and I, and I think more and more consumers are looking for that, you know, they're not looking for this cookie cutter uh, experience of, you know, walking into to a, to a Starbucks or any other chain and, you know, not having that sort of personal experience. Um, so I, I, I think I, I would disagree. I think price isn't the only factor um, when it comes to making any purchase, not just coffee
1: that's interesting I wonder if I quite agree with you I want to on a sentimental <laughs> level but I, then I realised that my argument which actually is in alignment with yours yeah. is also sentimental and it's less to do with the personal service over the counter and more to do with the feeling that when you come to a new town you're seeing something that you haven't seen before and that there's a sense of uniqueness which uh, increasingly right around the country seems lacking
2: yeah no I agree um, and actually that's something that we are trying to change at Grub Club um, you know, one of the things that, you know, when Liv and I uh, met, you know, you know, we actually met in the jungles of South India. And, you know, in India, you get to, you know, you, you do, dining out is a big part of the culture there, but you tend to dine out in people's homes and, you know, friends, you know, you, you eat, uh, you know, amazing dinners from your friend's mom, for example. And when we came back to London together, uh, we're just friends, by the way. But uh, <laughs> when we flew back, uh, when we flew back uh, uh, to London, something that we felt was lacking here was that sort of unique dining experience you know we felt that a lot of the restaurants here uh, were pretty much offering the same f- standard fare um, you know the price of the, the price was may have been fairly reasonable but the, the experience was was very much a cookie cutter dining experience uh, and that's something that we tried to change with grub club, club, club by promoting independent chefs who who really care about their food um, who want to bring something unique you know for a number of reasons you know either it could be setting up a restaurant in the future uh, it could be to you know try out new uh, creative menus or just another way to meet new people
1: well let's let's unpack the model uh, so i'm interested in grub club and i want to eat yeah. Simple as that I'm going to do what get onto your website or phone you and what's going to happen
2: uh, You can phone me if you like but it might be easier to go onto the website. Uh, so if you go to you know, grubclub.com uh, it's a place where you can search for and book these fun social dining experiences. So you could on one evening you could eat this amazing Burmese dinner in, in Hackney. Or you can eat, you know, Michelin-quality food in a clock tower apartment in King's Cross. It really does vary from day to day, and you know, it's all dependent on the chef.
1: And, and it's so you, you are a hub for what's happening that evening uh, that, that's been orchestrated by you, but it's, it's not the case that it's as personal as uh, phone you up and, and you'll send a chef around? <laughs> uh,
2: not yet, but we do actually, there are some customers who attend some of these uh, grub clubs, and they love the that personalized uh, service from the chef that a lot of them actually request. Um, requesting chefs to come and cook for them, you know, and cook for them and their friends at their home. So we have done many of them as well. Uh, so it's actually a nice way for chefs to make some alternative revenue, uh, you know, in addition to their job or in, even in addition to their grub clubs.
1: No. <laughs> The the listener will know how this sort of podcast works and, uh, of course, there's a commercial angle uh, coming from you (laughs) and there's uh, uh, we're we're interested in your story but we're also interested in the uh, story of Camden so we're banned officially for the next (laughs) uh, ten minutes from saying uh, the words uh, (laughs) club or grub (laughs) instead. What about food club? Uh, (laughs) We're we're heading along uh, past the unique to Camden... Uh, Waterstones, Marks & Spencers, and PC World. These are local businesses that grew up here. Mum and pup trade. They've done very well for themselves. (laughs) Uh, Across the street now, uh, we can just about make out... uh, There it is, number 159. And this is is the Camden Collective that we've been talking a a bit about. Could you map out what Camden Collective is, what it does, where it is?
2: Sure. So uh, Camden Collective is an organisation... ...that is tasked with changing the face of Camden. Uh, Over the last four to five years or so, uh, Camden has become a real homogenized place. You know, every shop looks the same. And even some of the smaller retail shops all seem to sell the same stuff. It's become a bit of a tourist trap. Uh, And I think what Camden Collective is trying to do is to sort of change that... ...by uh, bringing really exciting, creative companies to Camden... ...and initially just offering them office space... So that's how uh, we got involved with the Camden. The no, Camden not, re- not retail space, necessarily. No, initially it started off with just office space. Um, so they have a, a, a space on the other side towards Moniton Crescent, uh, and they were housing they were housed about 100, 100 odd companies there. You know, which range in size from say one one man bands, you know, all the way up to say uh, you know companies with about ten people. And it's a whole plethora of companies involved there. You know, you have. Uh, photographers you have uh, designers you have people making you know really funky robots in there Uh, you've got uh, a a company that's um, doing a google glass project for example so there's a whole range of companies Um, and and I think the idea behind this is that these companies will as they grow in size will hopefully continue to stay in Camden um, hire more people and bring more people to Camden um, and also hopefully in the future become a hub uh, for tech companies in the same way shortages currently mm. and I think it will happen uh, w- over the next year or two I think the people who run Camden Collective are doing a fantastic job um, you know spreading the word
1: Where, where is the drive and, and who's making the choices about which sort of companies are supported no idea. <laughs> is, there, is there an organising mind behind all of this? Uh, there is. He's, the thing is that there's
2: just, now I can say to you. There's, there's a guy called Simon, but I can never remember his surname because it's like really long. So. Um, I don't want to say too much about it <laughs> because of his long surname.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to escape media attention. <laughs> yeah. So but uh, the the question remains I suppose I mean is there is there a sort of a principle behind which kind of, you talked about a tech hub for example are, are those kind of businesses no, being prioritized it's, it's,
2: And and I and I actually think this is the this is the great thing about the collective that it's not focused on just tech companies because I think when you have a lot of tech companies in one place you know in in you get a, a, a lot of the conversations tend to be around the same subjects, whereas when I think you when you have say companies you know people who are photographers or designers or um, you know people from other industries working in one place, I think you get a lot of cross pollination of ideas. That's hugely beneficial uh, to you as a business, mm. um, and actually makes the whole makes for a much more vibrant uh, place to work.
1: Yeah, that does seem to tie in with the. Had the general atmosphere and ambience of Camden which is as something that's alternative but it's not yeah. prescriptive in how it's alternative.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean I mean that's been the, the sort of allure of Camden over the over the last few decades
1: hasn't it? What was it that took the pair of you to the jungles of India?
2: Uh, so both of us, funnily enough uh, happened to be there, you know, randomly uh, setting up, so Liv was setting up a, a division for her company at the time and I was setting up a, a division for my company at the time. So Liv is in, was in financial services. She was at Goldman Sachs uh, for many years. And my background is in advertising. Uh, so I set up a vocational training platform. Uh, and I went to set up an office for that business in India. Uh, and that's where we met. And funny enough, we did actually meet in a, in a, a jungle in South India uh, at, a friend's, uh, at a friend's party that I won't talk
1: too much about. I, I really wanted to imagine that it was the uh, Doctor Livingstone thing, where you were hacking <laughs> yeah. through the undergrowth.
2: Uh, yeah, no, it, was, it wasn't exactly like that, sadly. It was in a, it was in a very fancy resort in, um, in just outside Bangalore. So yeah, sadly, no, no Doctor Livingston's esque <laughs> stories. <laughs> but that would have been more
1: fun then. I'm going to have to encourage you to break the rule I set now, because I'm wondering how two people with those backgrounds came to decide that this was uh, the Grub club, club was the right way forward.
2: So, funny enough, actually, it was Camden that brought us together. Um, So we met, or Liv and her boyfriend uh, and I, and my friends, a whole group of us, we met about ten years ago in a bar in Camden somewhere. Uh, This was back in the day when they they were doing lots of uh, psychedelic trance parties here. <laughs> uh, on, uh... And you thought you were in India. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, at that time I have to say, you know, we were um, very. Um...
1: I'm trying... uh, is, is high the word you're searching <laughs> for?
2: Both Liv and I were very sensible young people at that time. Quite so, so yes. Uh, so we probably met over a, over a glass of wine. But uh, we, um, we kept in touch uh, through, well, not me personally, but Liv kept in touch with my friends. Uh, via Facebook, and then when she came to India, uh, she uh, got in touch with us, and that's how we connected. So actually, funny enough, Camden was uh, the starting point for, for all of these uh, all of these endeavours.
1: Well, all the same, with the backgrounds you describe, I'm, I'm still not clear on why food came into the frame. Why Why wouldn't it come into the frame?
2: I think um, you know, as you know, one of the things I always think about is that food is probably the new clubbing you know when you are you know in your early 20s you do want to go to those uh, those funny little clubs in camden perhaps but then as you get older you know you, you you start to get more interested in food um and i actually think that we are living in an age where you know f- chefs are you know the equivalent of djs t- 20 years ago you know where there's a massive holding for chefs you know people really care about you know uh, the chef and their background, and you know what their what, what their you know latest experiments are. You know, in the same way that you know people were probably interested in DJs.
1: I find that very persuasive. <laughs> have you worked in advertising? Did you say? <laughs> Occasionally, yes. Yeah. Okay. Shall we have a look? We're, we're standing outside uh, Camden yeah, Collective, we have a look right? Around now. the uh, Camden Collective. Yeah, perhaps you could give us a, a whistle stop tour. Okay. Uh, the first thing I, I suppose that we notice is yeah, it's a very uh, got a very homespun style we've got the blackboards outside handwritten with the uh, contents of the shops there's a lot of wood paneling going on it looks a little bit like a surf shop I suppose
2: Uh, I don't know how many surf shops you've been to but uh (laughs) 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 But, yeah no I I guess I I guess yes I I, I can see where you're coming
1: from yeah thank you for that Uh, grudging (laughs) listener Um, it does not look like a surf shop I'm pleased to announce (laughs) how would you describe it
2: Uh, I would describe it as a rustic uh, slash...
1: <laughs> surf shop, surf shop, perhaps. <laughs> and we've uh, we've come in, and there's lots of gingham. There's far more gingham than you would expect in uh, in, in a rustic anything. Uh, so little uh, uh, bits of bunting here. Sorry, little yeah. bits of bunting makes it sound rather pathetic. Uh, yeah. Long long trailing uh, garlands of bunting.
2: I mean, I think there's like a lot of what I see is like lots of excited young uh, designers and. Uh, you yeah, know, let's have a let's have a look at uh, some of this. Well,
1: one of the, I, I think the advertising side is coming out. One of the excited young designers appears to be slipping into a, a coma. Um, there's, I mean, the, the trade is good. Uh, there are quite a number of people in here. Um, some some in-depth conversations going on between traders and customers, and uh, lots of wear spread out.
2: Yeah, I think you don't really get this in in your local shop, do you? Like in your H and M or something. I think you know, take you know, climate Climate Brothers. You can see the the owner of the of the wares talking, you know, talking to his customers in some depth about you know where he's got his clothes from, what the the, the inspiration was for his design. Got a lot of clothes there that would be good for surfing. Uh, yeah, I see some hot pants. Yeah, I think that that could work. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> let's let's head further in. <laughs> We've got, uh, got jewellery here. Uh, very it's ornate. Uh, yes, that is jewellery. Is this not your specialist subject? <laughs>
2: yeah, no. No, no, not jewellery, no.
1: The piece I, I'm finding myself admiring... Here, hello. The piece I'm admiring the most here is uh, it's a single colour and it's an eagle in gold. It looks very much like the sort of uh, thing that a pharaoh might adorn himself with. A man who knows nothing about jewellery and doesn't want to know
2: either. I do. I mean, I, I do like it. Uh, if it, you... does, it does look like yeah. It does look like something that's been picked out. Dug up from Luxor or something, I
1: guess. But um, it's a, a, a wide array. I
2: it looked quite fetching uh, around your neck. Should we
1: should we try it on for you? This, this is a worrying uh, <laughs> motif that's developing through <laughs> yeah. today's show. Um, this stall is sugar and style, and I I'd certainly recommend if you want to see some uh, fancy, uh, some some well-crafted jewellery. This is the place for you, and very affordable as well. I've got to say. Let's um, let's head down. More jewellery here. I know you like to talk about the jewellery. What, what do you think of this jewellery? Which, which which would be your favourite piece and why? Well, I'm looking at the piece
2: that says "I love London." I guess that's a good start, isn't it? <laughs> given that we're given that we're right at the mid
1: heart of it, you're a good ambassador for your city. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, think need is I love Camden. That would be that would be done. But you're a you're a Stratford man yourself.
2: I am. Yeah. Um, Apparently he's got a lot of good connections, that's what I've been told. So every, t- every time I tell someone I live in Stratford, the first thing that they say to me is that you mu- you have really good connections. So the best thing about Stratford
1: <laughs> is being able to easily get out of Stratford?
2: Yeah, so it seems. Although I, I don't know why I, I, I don't actually need the connections because I cycle everywhere. So I actually have a, a very beautiful cycle ride. Um, I cycle you, have, have you got a canal connections, right? I do, yeah. So I, I cycle uh, via the canal around um, around the Olympic Park. Uh, into Victoria Park, then over Angel, Hagerston, and then Angel. It's a beautiful ride actually, because I get to see, you know, ducks and swans and you know warehouses, and it's it's actually a beautiful cycle ride. Right? Actually, every morning when I when I get into work, I sort of actually feel, you know, quite thankful that I'm you know doing something I love and you know able to get to it in a in a wonderful way. So
1: very pleasant indeed. As okay, I've been casting my eyes over some of the really inventive uh, produce here, yeah, I mean, where we're at a, a jewellery stand here, you've got
2: uh, bottle cap, uh, bottle
1: cap uh, uh, rings, I think, with uh, sort of paintings inside the bottle caps. Becks, I wonder if they have a Stella one. That's my favourite. And we've got Scrabble rings, but the the thing that strikes me the most here is the affordability. And yeah. I, I guess uh, maybe the vibe is a little bit farmers' market as well. But with, with all of these concessions, you might easily be persuaded that the uh, price tag is uh, out of your reach. But really, not the case, I think.
2: Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, um, and actually, if you consider a lot of this stuff here is handmade, so a lot of you know uh, time and effort and love has gone into making these products. And to think that you can buy these rings for little as a, little as ten pounds, I think that's it's wonderful, really.
1: Well, I'm very tempted by no the Scrabble, Scrabble
2: rings, one, but I'm going to i You would probably try and make your name out of either, each of the rings. You'd need longer fingers, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you certainly would. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I might, I might I, I need a hand like an octopus, probably. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's uh, head back down there. We, we haven't mentioned the clothing. Uh, Garite is one of the traders that we can see there. Lots of uh, f- uh, floaty summer dresses. A sunglasses store to give you the accessories you need. And then plates. Uh, oh, there's your plate up there with the octopus on it. <laughs> what is
2: that? Oh, yeah. It's quite nice. Yeah, see, I mean, look, I'm, I'm
1: sure a lot of these things were hand-painted, isn't it? So I think that's actually really good value, considering all things considered. It's got a friendly 50s vibe. We're going to head out and explore Camden now, I think, and we'll head north of the station and see what we can see. Londonist Out
2: Loud is sponsored by Audible. To claim your free audiobook from a range of 60,000 titles, try the Audible service on 30-day free trial. Audiobooks can be saved as MP3s and played on your compatible phone, tablet, or desktop, or burned to a CD, and they're yours to keep. For your free audiobook, go to www.audible.co.uk Londonist and
1: click through. You're listening to Londonist Out Loud. I'm in Quentin Wolf. With me is Siddharth Vijayakumar, Kumar, and we are in Camden sun streaming down. A beautiful opportunity for a wander through the part of the town that seems to me a little less uniform and predictable as the uh, the high street um, this is where you would find your tourists on a Saturday, the markets. Uh, if you've got brightly coloured hair, this is the place for you. Yeah. And uh, I'm with somebody who had no idea until about an hour ago that he was going to be doing uh, any kind of recording <laughs> and uh, <laughs> is here feeling rather awkward <laughs> <laughs> about the prospect of having to uh, talk about Camden. So <laughs> what, what I would encourage you to do, Sid, is, yeah. um, is take us on a personal tour okay, yeah, of, of this bit of the town and tell me what you... Uh, I, I suppose I should uh, add into the mix that in amongst all the people with the studs poking out of every available surface, you are a man in a suit. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. So yeah. we're going to blend in here. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not actually a suit, though, is it? Because I'm wearing, like,
2: a, it's a blazer, I think. Oh, that's less, true, right? It's a blazer, less of a suit. Yes, you're quite right. I can't see down that far. That's below the cloud level. I've got, I've got, a, I've got a meeting later this evening, so... Uh, yeah, I'm
1: dressed uh, rather rather appropriately for that and inappropriately for this. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about when do you first remember being in Camden? Because I think it makes an impression on your first visit, doesn't it? It does, actually. I remember being here when I was uh,
2: twen- 19, 20 maybe for the first time with a bunch of friends, also from India, actually. And um, we came here on a night out. Uh, looking for the place that does the cheapest, cheapest beer, basically. And I think, if I remember correctly, we ended up at Stables Market. There's actually a, uh, a little. There used to be a little club above a uh, above a record shop that used to be open till about five, six in the morning. But I don't know if it's still there
1: now. That sounds like the spirit of Camden, right there. I tell you what struck me in what you said there was that, of all the places to come for a cheap beer today, I think Camden probably will be the last.
2: Uh, yeah, sadly. Well, actually, you know, there are there are some places. Um, well, actually, funny enough, there's a place on on. U- a lot can happen in three
0: years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time
2: Houston Road and I think if you go there on a a Monday uh, you can get a beer for about two pounds a pint of beer for two pounds which I think is pretty good. It's unheard of. (laughs) Yeah
1: I think so it is a student night though so I, I do feel awkward in my suit. I haven't been up this street for a long time so we're five or six doors up from the tube station and Camden Market is to our right to the left we've got the Inverness Street Market which I don't remember very clearly Uh, from before but then to be honest every visit about 10-15 years ago to Camden did not result in clear headedness (laughs) Um, yes that is true (laughs) one of the the silence there perhaps speaks (laughs) volumes one thing I do remember that you don't see along here anymore is the mushroom vendors
2: Oh, yeah, actually, that was my first experience of mushrooms as well. Um, many, many years ago, I think. Why did they stop selling it again?
1: Well, I think they finally spotted that that was a bit of a gaping
2: hole in the drugs laws, didn't <laughs> yeah. they? Yeah, sadly they did. I didn't try any of them, obviously. Oh, of yeah, course I, not. I, right?
1: I, I, I do remember
2: a number of vendors here and on Portobello Road for some reason.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right, and you could yeah. you could pick your strength and it would describe what the mushroom would do to you.
2: Uh, yeah, they did, yeah, and apparently, I, I remember hearing one uh, vendor tell... Telling, telling a very frightened teenager that if if it if, if it gets too overwhelming for you, drink lots of orange juice. So for your listeners of your Londoner sport, that's a piece of advice. Well, we don't have that
1: sort of listener. I'm, I'm slightly dismayed by the number of shops selling uh, Union Jack produce. Well, actually, what about
2: the ones selling uh, football T-shirts? And I, I guess this is the problem with Camden now, isn't it? That it really is like any other... Well, it, I wouldn't even say it's like a high street in, in, in the UK. It's actually just a, a tourist trap. You know, I think people are expecting you know, thousands of tourists, which, which, they, which do come here every day. Well, they're certainly in evidence, and, uh, yeah. I don't know why they think that they're going to buy a Man United T-shirt, but there you go,
1: in Camden. I'd be interested to know how many they sell. It's true, of course, that there's uh, Man United supporters all around the globe. I mean, this...
2: I guess that sort of, like, you know, captures what's happening to Camden right now, isn't it? That, you know, someone would come here to
1: buy a Man United t-shirt. Hand on heart, is that a bad thing? Clearly, in terms of the aesthetic of the place, it might not be to one's taste, but it's bringing money in.
2: Yeah, no, it is bringing money, but I think it's 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 slowly changing the character of Camden, isn't it? And I think, you know, you don't want to sort of pass for... Well, if you continue on this journey over the next five years, then, you know, I I can't see, you know people probably stop coming to Camden because it won't have that unique culture to it anymore.
1: Yeah, I've, I've got to say, the notable thing from my perspective is that it's not as frightening as it used to be. And I be... remember it frightening. Oh, it's certainly frightening. Really? Yeah, you'd have uh, big crews of punks going along there, uh, going out of their way to look uh, dangerous and drunk, and uh, w- which is fine. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure that I ever perceived myself to be in actual uh, <laughs> physical danger, but there was an edge to the place, which is uh, certainly absent today. Uh, that is true, but funnily enough, actually, they, they,
2: I remember when, when they, you, you did see, you know, groups of them walking by, and actually, they always looked really aggressive, but they never actually were very aggressive at all. They were actually very easy, easy-going people. Mm, I yeah. It's a shame not to have that here anymore. Camden's probably gearing up for the next change that's going to come, here, and I, I, I don't know who, I don't know what that's going to be, but I'm sure it'll be interesting to find out.
1: As we look across to Camden Market now, I certainly remember you, you, this. is... I'm conscious that this is becoming... Oh, I remember when this was all fields. Uh, But I remember Camden Market used to be, or I thought it used to be, a place where a lot of uh, alternative fashion was available. And the alternative fashion I'm seeing there at the moment, a great number of Heisenberg, as in Breaking Bad, T-shirts, so capitalising on on that uh, enormous global show. There's the Keep Calm and Carry On franchise, which just keeps on rolling. I don't know who's producing this stuff. So, uh, somebody is a keep calm millionaire or something, aren't they? But actually, but interestingly, if you go
2: to the back of this market, you start to see some really quirky, independent fashion trends. Um, and I know this because this is where I come to buy all my clothes for fashion, uh, for fancy dress parties. Oh, right. Okay. So, I think interesting, I, I don't know, but I'm assuming that the rental at the front of these shops might be higher than the ones at the back, and so the ones at the front will tend to sell. The things that the tourists want, whereas per- perhaps more local people tend to go at the back because they know the kind of shops that there are. I don't
1: know. So it's, it's just a hypothesis. Oh, well, that's, that that ties in quite nicely with what we've been saying about uh, taking the time to dig into uh, what's really there in the local area. And if you see an independent uh, trader, uh, pop in and have a look, and you might uncover something along the t- lines of the Camden Collective that we saw earlier.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think there's still a lot of gems here if you really do look around. I think.
1: Oop. Oh, someone just. Was that you, Quinton? A, a, a punk has just hurled herself off the curb in an act of rebellion, or, or the curbs are a bit slippery.
2: I think Camden Collective. I think you know if you look at the, some of the, the quality of some of the clothes, it is quite incredible what they're producing there. Um, and actually, a lot of my friends have started to identify the Camden Collective. You know, independently of me. You know, I mean, they've been saying, oh, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I walk past, you know, you work in Camden, and I walk past your your office the other day and I came across this really cool retail space called Camden Collective and I think a lot more people are hearing about it so um, I think that's a a really good thing.
1: There seems to be a basic problem here though and I hope you won't mind me highlighting it which is that the footfall north of the station is vastly different to that south of the station.
2: Yeah uh, and actually I think that's one of the issues that the Camden Collective faces because I think a lot of people get off at Camden station and then go right and so they tend to miss everything on the other side and to be fair there's not that much for tourists to see but then um, I, I guess that's what, uh, that's, that's what they're trying to change and actually this is interesting I've never seen this shop before but this looks like a small independent shop among you know a whole range of shops selling basically the same thing which is Oxford University sweatshirts and I Love London tops so.
1: I, love, I like that Oxford University is getting a look in here because if, if you go to Oxford you'll know that you'll see stalls there selling I Love London merchandise What, in the university campuses?
2: Yeah. I'm not exactly sure how that relationship works <laughs> Yeah, I've always wondered why there are so many people in Camden who went
1: to Oxford University. That, that concerns me, though, because the sort of experience that's being offered by the Camden Collective uh, retail area there is very much about browsing, whereas I think a lot of the other shops there are the kind of shop, uh, there are, no, I don't know whether to call them a destination shop, but you, you need something and you know that that's where you're going to go and buy it, well, whereas here yeah. it's a little bit more free
2: well, I would say it's actually the other way around. I think something like Camden Collective, the, the collective retail space, is probably more of a destination space because they don't have the footfall. Uh, something like this place has natural footfall. So I think you can almost calculate, on average, you know what you you know how many people are going to walk past, and of those people, how many are going to come into my shop, and of those people, how many are going to buy my product, uh, which is actually. Probably what um, you know the KFC down there does, and you know that's probably why they decided to take that space. They probably made a calculation, and you know they can probably within ten percent go. Yeah, this is going to be our revenue in the next year. So this should be what we should pay for a retail space. And actually, that's a massive problem because it actually affects a lot of independent rest- restaurateurs because they get outbid on spaces by people like KFC, a Manger, etc. Uh, because some of the key areas around London, some of some of these companies actually overpay, even though they may not make as much profit as they would like, because they see it as a flag, flagship space. And so for them, it's about a marketing campaign, as much about uh, retail sales. And so an independent restaurant can't really compete with that, because
1: it's such a shame. It's a lot more predatory than I think I realised. Are, are there other so. tactics that you notice going on?
2: Uh, well, I, I wouldn't, you know, profess to be an expert in this space, but I mean, look, I, I think big companies are good. You know, they do a lot of good stuff. But oh, could you, could you persuade us? <laughs> what, what sort of thing have you in mind when you no, say that? I mean, look, it's only the larger companies that can invest in such, you know, large-scale infrastructure projects, and what those infrastructure projects bring is an employment. You know, like if you look at a lot of in, independent restaurants and shops and stuff, yeah, they do hire people, but they don't obviously hire on the scale. Uh, that the larger companies do. And hopefully larger companies uh, are also good training grants for a lot of the future employees of independent uh, shops and restaurants. So I think there is a good ecosystem there. It's just about finding it. Um, so I, I, I do think big companies do a lot of good. We need them in our economy, but at the same time, we need to be supporting uh, smaller businesses with I'm surprised that hear you talk so warmly of the larger companies. <laughs> I wonder if
1: there's... Have you got pro- professional
2: connections yeah. with some of them? I, no, I don't. I, I just—I genuinely believe that, you know, they do a lot of good. Like, you know, they take on graduate training schemes, you know, they take hundreds of people on graduate training schemes. We can't afford to do that. I can afford to train, you know, one or two people at a time, whereas the bigger companies can train 100, 200 people. Mm. You know, they, you know they, they'll end up... Uh, picking up experience and going off, you know, to work at, you know, hopefully some of the independent companies or setting up their own companies.
1: So it sounds as though you might be in favour, and uh, this is an idea that I've uh, started to hear a a little bit more about recently, and I'm I'm yet to be persuaded one way or the other whether it's the right way forward, but the idea of having very different uh, employment law for small companies than for big companies. That's quite a controversial one
2: because I think how do you decide what's a smaller company and what's a larger company and you know how do you enforce those rules and I think it. I think it gets complicated, uh, but I do think, and I, and I, to be honest, I think the government does do a lot uh, to support smaller businesses.
1: But I, th- uh, I think where this sort of thing kicks in, and I've, I've certainly heard it discussed in the area of maternity leave, as well as one or two other yeah. things. So, you've got a, a four-person business taking one person out for a year has a disproportionately severe effect, as opposed to if you take a, a, a one pregnant person out of a supermarket or something like that. Yeah. There, there are other people who can fill in. So the idea, I. Think, being that the, the bigger companies are able to give a bit more sort of social lubricant I suppose.
2: Yeah no I well I I, I disagree again. I think you know it depends on the company, depends on the team. Uh, you know I know a lot of uh, women who've who've actually worked you know almost all in through the entire pregnancy. Mm. And then you know I think the things like job share scheme job share schemes after pregnancy I think work incredibly well. You know having two people do one job I think is a great system. Obviously, the, you know, you need to sort of communicate well between the two people, and you know, the, there are certain you know drawbacks, obviously. But on the whole, I think I think it works incredibly well, and you know, it, it can be very
1: productive. We drifted a long way from <laughs> Camden. <laughs> from Camden, an, inter- an interesting detail. <laughs> yeah. Well, this certainly looks like the Camden I remember, with the, in- with the insane <laughs> shop fronts, the enormous boots sticking out of the front of that building. Oh, it's a, lot. a pair of sneakers over there. Maybe
2: but that, maybe that's why we have all these Oxford University uh, uh, sweatshirts here, because of the Oxford
1: arms. Is it like an outpost for the university or something? It could well be. <laughs> maybe that's where the, uh, the boat race begins. <laughs> the signs on the outside of these buildings actually remind me of uh, the ghost signs episode that we did a few weeks ago. and Lots of people made contact with the show uh, saying how much they enjoyed that one. And uh, I was just wondering whether in future years we'll be finding the enormous... Uh, tattoo sign on the outside of a building and protecting that maybe that'll be hidden behind some uh, future advertising hoarding i really like this the 3d-ness of it up here it feels like retail and imagination is just bursting out of the buildings
2: and actually i think a lot of these are quite new as well if i i don't remember many of these here so you know that's a start isn't it that you know we're starting to see more creativity coming back to camden
1: Do you venture up this end of the town very often? Uh,
2: Sadly, I don't. You know, Grub Club is quite all-encompassing at the moment, so, you know, we don't get to enjoy the delights of Camden as much as as I would like, although we do go to the Constitution pub quite a bit. Oh, right, whereabouts is that? So it's it's a really nice little pub on the canal, um, towards King's Cross, I guess, a few minutes minutes from Pratt Street. And, uh, yeah, you can have a, a nice cold beer... Uh, well, picking up the sunshine on the canal
1: reminded us that uh, club, club is why we're conversing in the first place. So I, I suppose what we haven't talked about in any respect is the sort of food that's being uh, served up and the oh. sort of chefs that you're working with.
2: Gosh, what what don't we have? <laughs> um, we have a real we have a real mix actually. So each week it really depends on the creativity of the chef and also. Uh, their background. So, um, last week, for example, uh, we had some am- uh, amazing uh, Burmese dinners. And I don't know if you know, but there is just one Burmese restaurant in all of Europe. In and all of Europe? In all of Europe, oh. yeah. And that's actually in Edgware Road. Uh, and I've been there. It's actually very good. Um, but now... What, what, now, is, now uh,
1: what, is, what is Burmese cuisine?
2: It's actually a nice mix between Indian and Chinese um and funny enough I grew up on Burmese food living in India because my mum uh, loved to make houseway so um yeah I ate, a, I ate a lot of Burmese food so I was quite happy when I uh, when I managed to find uh, find Burmese food here yeah. but yeah I think your your listeners would really love uh, would love uh, the Burmese Burmese restaurant in Edgware Road I think it's called Mandalay if I remember correctly but don't quote me on that it's excellent
1: and what else could we expect to find through group?
2: So, funny enough, this week we got a real mix. Actually, we've got some amazing uh, Malaysian lobster uh, for just eight people. In uh, this lovely lady called Karen, she's um, she's got a full-time job. Uh, she works in a investment company, I believe, and she just loves to uh, host and you know cook dinner for for her friends. And she does dinners on Club Club, and actually the, a lot of the money that she she gets, you know, after she's paid for her ingredients and stuff, uh, she gives it to charity. Mm. So it's a nice little touch, I think. Uh, so we have that happening this week. And then we've also got a, a five-course Argentinian feast in a clock tower apartment in King's Cross. Um, so that's over three to four days. And it's been selling out incredibly well. I think the last series that he did sold out in 24 hours. Uh, so he's got another set happening this week. You, you think of Argentina, you think of beefy things. There is, yeah. There is a, there is some, actually some Argentinian beef on there. But, you know, it's a real variety, actually. He's got, you know, the, I think he's, he's doing some ceviche. Um, and also the the chef, Martin. Um, he's, you know, obviously a highly trained chef from Argentina. But he's also a professor of gastronomy uh, in, uh, in Argentina for like, 20-odd years. So, you know, it's very flavoursome, technical food uh, and in a wonderful setting. Are we, when, we, when
1: you say technical, are we thinking uh, Blumenthal?
2: It is actually, yeah, very Blumenthal-esque, yeah. Uh, so I, I won't be able to you know, tell you what he does uh, with his blenders and stuff, but
1: uh, yeah, you should come and see for yourself. Well, that sounds extremely tempting. <laughs> uh, what I've been wondering as we've been talking, I wonder what uh, Liv had, had she uh, the ability to speak. Uh, where, where would her view of things have differed from yours?
2: I think Liv is, uh, is far more of a hippie than I am, uh, uh, as you can see from you know, when, you, when you first meet her. I think she, she's really... So I, I, I think both of us sort of work well together because we see the same problem in a different way. Um, I think Liv wants to bring a community together uh, a community of you know chefs, of food people, of foodies, even uh, people who own the spaces, uh, and she's really interested in this this idea of you know the social side of club club. You know how can we regenerate areas in look you know, like Camden or Deptford? You know we've got a, a big regeneration project in Deptford currently, where every week we do a, a brunch by different chefs. You know so I think this week it's a it's a Bayesian Bayesian brunch, and. The idea behind that is that we, you know, we bring some bring some life back into Deptford. You know, bring the community together. You know, get people who wouldn't normally go go to Deptford to come out there and see what's going on. Um, so it, you know, it really brings you know, bring some vibrancy to the area. And and that's her passion. That's what she loves to do. Whereas I'm sort of interested in this idea of how do we empower chefs so that they can set up the next food business, you know? How do we how do we build a high street that has a nice mix between uh, large chains like, you know, Pret-a-Manger or whatever, and independent cafes and restaurants? That's sort of what I'm really passionate about. Mm. So, but I think the, those two parts come together very nicely, which is why I think Liv and I work well together, because we have, you know a shared objective so
1: it's quite nice and what, what's your what's your strategy but perhaps finally for um, reaching the parts that might not naturally be attracted to the sort of concept that you've got going on here and what, what I mean by that is uh, within any area you're likely to find a constituency that would naturally be drawn to the ideas the food they'd be perhaps they'd be conversant with the kinds of food that you're talking about but uh, equally in any area there'll be some people who feel like that this is above and beyond them and they're, they're uncomfortable yeah, with it how, how do you reach those
2: guys i i you know I, I i totally agree i think a lot of people would be worried about you know attending some of our some of our events i think you know, the, the idea of, you know, of going into this place and meeting, you know, a random person and having to, you know, talk to them is actually quite intimidating for some people. You know, going into someone's home can be a very intimidating intimidating experience.
1: And Are you going to pick up the wrong fork? And, uh, yeah. Well, can you afford well it? I oh, guess... A whole, whole load of different anxieties around food,
2: <laughs> yeah. aren't they? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think our dinners are very informal, so I think there's less of that. But I think, you know, some people are scared about, you know, having to, you know, being forced to talk to someone and and i think that's why it's nice that we have a range of dinners you know we've got you know I, you know if you think of a, a supper club a supper club tends to be in someone in someone's home and so what we do is a nice mix of you know dinners in, in people's homes to dinners in commercial spaces and so actually it's not that different you know going to a, it is like going to a restaurant but it's more fun you know you're walking into a commercial space you know you sort of have Um, some, you know, idea of what's going on, because, you know, but it's not exactly the same thing. Like, for example, when you walk into a restaurant, you sort of know what's going to happen next, you know? You walk in, and, you know, someone comes and shows you a table, and then you sit down, and then you might look at your phone, and then someone will come and give you the menu. It's all very sort of robotic. It's all very process-driven. Whereas with ours, it's slightly different. That, yeah, you might, you'll you'll walk into a, a restaurant, But it's not like a restaurant that you've been been into before. Uh, You know, what we always find from our chefs, they always say that, you know, whenever they they see people come in, um, you know, a lot of our dinners tend to be communal-style, you know, shared tables. And, you know, the first people who walk in, they always try to sit as far away from each other as possible, you know. People walk in and start looking around and, you know, think, okay, you know what, I'll go and sit right at the other end of that table so I don't have to talk to these two people. And then by the end of the evening... You know, you can see everyone sort of leaning into the table. And, you know, and there's a sort of life to this restaurant. And I guess that's what we're trying to do. You know, we want we want to bring a restaurant to life, you know, where, you know, everyone is, is, is a player in that. You know, there is, you know, you have the customer, you have the waiting staff, you have the space, you have the chef. And all of these elements come together to create something awesome, you know, like, you know, we want... You know, we want there to be you know lots of noise in the restaurant, and then you know when the when the dinner's finished, the chef comes out, and everyone's clapping him at the end. Yes, you I know? was going
1: to say I couldn't imagine he'd be locked in the kitchen, although yeah. she would be locked in the kitchen.
2: Yeah, well, funnily enough, actually, uh, everyone assumes you know the chef is a man, but you know on our side we actually find that you know a lot of our chefs are women, um, which is great to see actually. You know, and I hopefully will you know we'll start to see more of our grub club chefs move into, into restaurants and setting up their own restaurants and we'll have more female-dominated uh, restaurants in the future. Uh, but yeah, no, the, the, the idea is that chefs love to, you know, find out what people think about their food. And, you know, in the same way that a DJ likes to entertain uh, their, their, their audience, a chef likes to do the same thing then. So they do the same thing. They like to amaze them and surprise them. And it's lovely when the chef comes out at the end of an evening and everyone's clapping him or her. Um, and it's it's exciting to see and that's that's what we want a Grub Club to be about you know we want we want the whole experience to come alive in a way that it doesn't in a restaurant you know like you know a lot of these restaurants that you go to you literally see you know people there sitting on their phone you know an occasional comment to each other but there's no interaction
1: well let me give you the antithesis and you may have come across this document yourself but it was pinned to the wall of a very successful pub chain I won't say which one And uh, it was in the staff area. I can't remember how I came upon it, but I I happened to uh, be able to get a gander at it. And it was a list of principles by which the staff should operate. And it said things like, if the customer comes within three metres of the till, he or she must be greeted within 2.5 seconds of entering (laughs) that area. <laughs> um, I, I think we can safely say that uh, Grub Club is the it exact opposite of that sort of process-driven idea. It is. We don't want we don't want there to be any processes. We want it to be natural. You
2: know. But you know, there are you know, look, I'm not one of these people that goes, oh, anything that these big companies do, you know, processes are wrong. Processes are yeah. good, you know, it's good and, to... And they work. Some, yeah, some some level of trading, you know, we want, you know, even our hosts, we, we sort of tell a lot of them, you know, how, you know, what are the things to look for? What are, you know, how do you make a customer feel comfortable when they get in there? You know, there are some basic things you have to do, but you don't want it to be overly process driven, you know, it has to be come across really naturally, but... You know, when, when you, you know, hire, you know, young, someone new, someone young, you know what, they need to be trained. They need to be told, you know, how to do certain things. I think this, this example is a bit extreme, obviously. But, you know, the, the sentiment I can sort of understand, I think, if, you know, but maybe not so military style. You're a very agreeable chap, aren't you? <laughs> you can see all sides of the argument. <laughs> yeah, I, I always like, you know, I'm, I'm Indian, out there, So uh, we, we tend to sit on the fence with a number of things, you know? But no, I, I, do, I actually, yeah, I, I, I'm very passionate about certain things, but I like to see the whole argument because I think that sometimes we can be too idealistic and...
1: Too dogmatic, even. Too
2: dogmatic, yeah. I, I, I completely agree,
1: as I should. No, we've nudged him off the fence. Um, We have to uh, come to the end of our exposure to Grub Club. Uh, We cannot uh, depart, though, without getting website details, and how how should people get in contact?
2: Uh, Yeah, so if you want to uh, come to our site, you can Google us, Grub Club, or you can go to the URL, which is grubclub.com, or you can find us on uh, Facebook
1: and Twitter. You know, I sometimes wonder why we, why we give out websites anymore. It's, it's, it's a bit gone, really, as a thing, it, isn't it? it? It really is, actually. I mean, I, I, yeah, people always say, .co. is
2: it uk is it .com? It's like, you know what, you'll find it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I, 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 would, uh, I would encourage you, listener, to, uh, to find it. By the way, I should just ask before we, before we go, uh, you, you didn't expect to be uh, doing a podcast today. How do you yeah. think you got on? Uh, what was the experience like?
2: It was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed uh, talking to you, oddly enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, but I have to say, my uh, my I, f- I feel like my my knowledge of of Camden is is going to come across in the in, in the podcast. So I'm a bit worried that your Londonist users are not going to be too happy with uh, the information I've I've given them. But we'll, especially as, as I know Londonist uh, users are very knowledgeable of
1: London. They know their stuff. <laughs>
2: they know this stuff. I, I, I think so I don't think I've. Uh, I've increased their knowledge of
1: London in, in any way at all. <laughs> I think they might be generous and let you off the hook. <laughs> yeah, thank you. For today, those is Vijaya Kumar. Thanks very much. <laughs> thanks a lot, Quentin. Nice meeting you.
2: Aches, so far, no within...
1: And that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Sid Kumar and to Olivia Siboni. Thanks to Tumatva and Bernie Barclay. Theme and in incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm in Quentin Wolf. Try.
2: right at home.
0: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer.